You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, Side Notes Edition. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And it's October. We have scary movies on the brain, so we thought it prudent to discuss uh, uh, not just like our favorite horror movies, any any uh, uh, loudmouth movie nerds can can make top ten lists uh, all day long. We save that for the end of the year. Uh, but we, we, got, we thought we'd uh, discuss... What appeals to us? What it is we specifically we look for in a horror movie? And uh, turns out we also figured some of the things we don't look for in in uh, our favorite horror films. Uh, and for a roundtable discussion of what makes good creepy cinema, there was only one guest we could call on. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's appeared on the show before. She also has a master's in media and cultural studies. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Glenna Showalter. Hello. Welcome, welcome me. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, like at this point, you, this is, I don't know, your fourth or fifth appearance. I mean, I just, I guess you're just a co-host now. Two, I guess. Two more, <laughs> two more appearances and you get a free drink with your next Subway order. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> I actually did my master's on uh, the TV show Supernatural, uh, which some... I will say is a horror show, though some people won't say it's very scary. I don't think the two... I have a whole thing about that, which we can get into, but... Uh, yes, so. horror film and scary movie are mutually exclusive. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so when we when we were floating this idea as a side notes topic, we we're like, well, we gotta... I know she just came for the uh, uh, um, Charlie's Angels, but we gotta get Glenn in on this one, because whomst else? Whomst <laughs> else would we have asked? Yeah, I'm back, by the way. Yes, oh, yes. Welcome, welcome back, back Scott. Scott. Rare, <laughs> rare for me to miss an episode, but it's just been a lousy month, and I was super sick last week, so we uh, we uh, subbed in Olav for me. I like the, uh, the little roster we got going here, but uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, so again, these I'm sure our favorite movies are going to come up, obviously, but uh, sort of my the, the question we're chewing on today is is what is it that you look for in a horror movie? What is the the what are the aspects uh what are the things that appeal to you um what are the ones that make stick out you get the you get the premise and and when this was posed pretty much all of us but me uh there was one word uh that you all uh was consistent through what you all said we you liked so let's start with that one which was just the general concept of atmosphere um what is what does atmosphere in a horror movie uh mean to y'all uh let's start with glenna our guest Oh, wow. Uh, so I think atmosphere is uh, very um, variable. It can mean a lot of different things. You can cultivate an atmosphere where things are sort of tense throughout. You can have an atmosphere where things are fairly normal with uh, scares peppered in. You can have an atmosphere that's just harrowing to watch. Um, but they all work in different ways. Um, I really like... Uh, ghostly atmospheres i know i think that's really cool um or or sort of mind bending atmospheres things that when you when you're not quite sure what's going on and things feel very up in the air uh, i like that a lot in a horror movie i'm thinking of the, the lighthouse particularly when i say mm-hmm. that because that 
woof that <laughs> I really liked that movie, but I don't think I understood that movie, even though we talked about it a lot. Um, but it, it was very good at creating an atmosphere of, of things being um, haunted and also mind bending. Sweet. Yeah. That, uh, that, that checks out. I guess my question then uh, would be uh, to, to, to everyone. What is it about horror movies where atmosphere is something that is very front and center? Whereas like, movies have tones movies have style but like if you were to get me to just like use any word to describe like thor ragnarok i don't think like atmosphere would ever come up um so like what what uh what i guess how is atmosphere maybe different than like tone tone um to me the difference between atmosphere and tone is tone um Hold on, I put myself on the spot. I have an idea for how I want to describe atmosphere, and I, I have an idea of how it's different than tone. I just don't have a really good description for tone. I, I guess. An, I, I sorry if you if you want to keep baking that, Scott. Like, sure. uh, I have a I have an answer to it that's sort of adjacent to it, which is that um, for me, like atmosphere relates to mood. And like something that's like scary or something like that is a feeling. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's, so so yeah. I enjoy how the mood that a movie puts me into, like it, like whether whether it's something that's intense or a feeling of inspiration or a feeling of dread or or suspense and those kinds of things. Like those those are the things that really appeal to me, and and uh, and I think that's why. I get really excited about, you know, a, a movie that puts me into uh, like a, a certain type of mood um, and, and why I maybe don't um, care for as much things like the slasher types just because like while they are, they have their own value and they're, and they're fun, they, it's just not the same thing because, I, you know, their, um, their purpose is a little bit different. Their purpose is to, to shock and titillate and I'm kind of more interested in, in something that's putting me into a mood and having something to say and having something for me to interpret. Does that make sense? I don't know if that answers your question directly. Yeah, no, uh, I, th- I think it certainly does. Yeah. Okay. You can essentially cut out all the stuff with me before Greg's answer, and Greg <laughs> sums up... To be fair, Greg sums up uh, pretty much what my feeling towards atmosphere is, is that atmosphere is what is related to an emotion, the emotion that the movie's trying to evoke out of you. And a good atmospheric horror movie can make you feel dread. It can kind of draw you into what the characters are feeling. So you can feel their fear, you can feel their confusion, you can feel their anxiety. And uh, that, to me, uh, makes for a more effective horror movie than just, boo, a jump scare. That yeah. it, That's that's cheap. That That's just getting a quick scare out of me. I want something that that sits with me for, I want to think about it days later and still be like, Oh God, that was horrifying. What I witnessed like, <laughs> like that, that to me is a good horror movie. That's an effective scare. Yeah. I think like the thing about jump scares is they're also like diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Like after you've watched several movies of them, like I, I know I've, I've watched movies where I've kind of wanted jump scares and then they come up and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't quite exactly what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted to be jumping out of my seat and I wasn't at all, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to construct, especially when audiences are, are kind of used to them. I don't mind the occasional jump scare. I don't want to completely uh, just denounce them, but they are overplayed a lot. And there are a lot of movies that rely on them pretty much exclusively. And it's, it's cheap when it's used as a crutch. It's effective when it's used as a punctuation. 
Yeah, I think my my favorite instance of a jump scare that I've seen, it was actually in uh, the original Halloween, uh, because there was such a slow burn of creeping dread in that movie, and by the time you get your first jump scare at, like, the hour mark, it feels completely earned, and then there's this catharsis, and you're like, ah, and then we enter the third act, and then you gotta go. Yeah, there's kind of a thing in modern uh, horror movies um, where... There's kind of like the the jump scare fake out. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's not a scary thing. It's like something that just, like it's che- cheated by a cut or something like that. Like someone walks through a door and then they play the, the scary music and then it's just like, oh, it's nothing, right? And mm-hmm. like I, that, you know, that may actually ruin things a little bit when you try and get out there and, and, and cheat people out of this, out of a scare. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> I think my favorite jump scare weirdly is from uh, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> uh, I think that's <laughs> that is an effective think, use of a jump scare. Yeah, um, sweet. So yeah, I think I think atmosphere is is a big one, especially because uh, like it, horror movies, and I guess like I'm trying to think of other types of movies that really traffic in atmosphere in a way that like a period drama maybe doesn't. Like that's more of a tone or a style thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think like romance movies would be maybe the only other one I can think of, or like paranoid, like like a thriller, like a paranoid kind of spy. Um, I don't know why I'm so hung up on the definition. I just, I feel like well, um, it's it's central to what makes horror movies horror movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Thriller is, thrillers are very adjacent to horror. There are a lot of horror mm-hmm. movies that I would classify as thrillers and a lot of thriller movies that I would classify as like bordering on horror. It's, it's the intersection of horror and mystery. So you can, like Psycho, I would argue is more thriller than horror, but it's considered one of the great horror movies. Um, and that's because the genres have like the Venn diagram of those genres has a yeah. large overlap. <laughs> and I think it's all, yeah, it's all about winding up tension, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then what quick, quick, uh, uh, um, lightning round favorite atmosphere movie, like which one, which one does it for you? Or at least like, th- you know, top of your top of mind. I, I'll start with the Babadook. Mm-hmm. I love that whole, it was just like gray and sad. The whole, the whole thing was like a desperate sort of terror, like a, a, a real like melancholy terror. So Baba Duke would be mine. Um, one that I've seen more recently, I would say hereditary. Um, that was, that was an oppressive movie and it sat with me for days and it was just wrenching and I loved it. I thought it was great film. Uh, as above, so below one of my favorites. Um, uh, anybody here familiar with it? Um, it's a movie about, um, a group of people going into the catacombs under Paris and yeah, it's, um, it's very, very creepy. It's a, it's a, it's a nice kind of, it's, it's almost dis- the, 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 the descent ish in a way, but it gets into much more, um, religious sort of angles and, and, but it's, uh, is there, great, great is there movie. a car on fire in the catacombs mm-hmm. at one point? Yeah, I have seen, yeah. then I have seen that movie. <laughs> I just did not remember the title. Oh, I was every single horror movie I'd ever seen. It leaked out the side of my brain, but I thought of it now. Uh, the witch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk about oppressive dread. That is a completely like bleak atmosphere. Is there, um, is there a particular way you guys like your atmosphere constructed like i'll give you i'll give you an example of a couple of movies i watched recently i watched the thing and i watched um uh 30 days of night and both of those are kind of 
you know, they uh, 30 Days of Night kind of borrows a little bit from the thing, especially in its intro, where um, you have this sort of like very mysterious thing happen in the thing. It's uh, people, you know, a helicopter trying to shoot a dog. And in uh, 30 Days of Night, it's just a guy walking from an old derelict boat through trudging through a bunch of snow to a town and just like the the way that the way that both those are shot and just and the uh, the soundtrack that uh, goes along with it it's just sort of like this droning soundtrack and that really kind of sets that atmosphere and just kind of puts me in that tense mood is there anything that that any movie that you can point out that has like an atmosphere that just like it's just built really well that just gets you right into it I brought it up already, The Lighthouse. Um, it, it definitely has that droning, like, foghorn-esque soundtrack. It has the four to three aspect ratio. It has the black and white. It has the crashing waves. And I believe uh, Saltwater Gothic is what someone called it. And I think that's just, like, <laughs> a beautiful description of... Uh, and, and it sets the atmosphere so well. Because if, if that movie has anything going for it, it's style and atmosphere. Um, I think it just comes with like establishing what the threat is very early on. Uh, just to answer your question, Greg, um, it, like letting you know exactly the nature of the thing that's or not 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 exactly the nature, but like exactly the feeling of the nature. Uh, and I guess those are two examples I'll throw out where you like you get it from second one is it follows and get out. Those ones both. It's like oh, there's. Some, like something is following them in it follows and something is wrong with that town in or that neighborhood in get out and it's like it's established immediately and it has like a low slow long burn so i guess that would be how i'd answer that also lighting lighting is huge yeah. in conjunction with soundtrack um sweet well uh any then like atmosphere is the big one we got off the top there but uh again what else what in in broader strokes what do you or i guess less broad strokes what do you look for in a in a horror film i i definitely maybe not so much in my younger years but as i get older like i i definitely am gravitating to you know a horror movie that has something to you know to say about something Certainly, like the you know the Babadook, and um, I guess this is where I'll bring up um, Mike Flanagan's um, Netflix series. These are um, The Haunting on Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and most recently Midnight Mass. Um, it, you know, it, like not only are they very atmospheric, but um, you know, there's a real um, exploration of the human condition within those series that I I really enjoy. Um, and, uh, and some, uh, he, he kind of hits on topics that are, um, important to me personally as well. And more than anything, I, I love the way that he constructs. I know we're talking about movies in general, but like uh, the way that he constructs his miniseries is really fascinating to be, to me because, um, there's kind of a point in each of his series where he shows you all his cards, um, and and you kind of think you kind of feel like this feels like it's too early to be <laughs> to, to be shown everything that you're you're up to, you know, and like it's usually like the you know the third last episode or the fourth last episode or something like that. And I'm thinking about uh, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but I'm thinking about you know the uh, the um, episode where the bent neck lady 
you see the reveal of, of, of her going through the different time periods or um, the actual time travel kind of stuff that was happening in the next one and so on and so forth. So like it's it, it's funny that you just like get this sudden reveal of everything and then yet he still masterfully puts everything together for another few episodes and you get usually with his with his series, maybe not so much this last one, but you get like a wonderful cathartic denouement to everything as well. So it's, I, I love that his, uh, his series there. Wonderful. Yeah, the the message uh, I, I think is key, or the, the takeaway, right? Instead of just absurd absurdity for absurdity's sake. Well, we'll come back. I mean, I like those me. too, but yeah, like this, <laughs> these are the ones that I'm really attracted to. Yeah, yeah it's you. You kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about uh, stories that have something to say with uh, with uh, people who are speaking to certain aspects of the human condition and whatnot. Because one of the things that I like in a good horror movie are really strong characters. And that's something that's often lacking because a lot of, a lot of the, the cheaper uh, horror movies use people as basically just pieces to move around the board and then get slaughtered. Um, And so they're very paper thin. They're not well developed. You don't care about them or you're just kind of rooting for them to die because they're terrible people. Um, I, I like a good horror movie where I actually have become invested in the people and their like their safety becomes something that I'm concerned for and I feel bad when bad things happen to them. Um, I, I think that makes for a more effective horror story for me personally, at the very least. Yeah, going back to uh, with uh, something to say, I think what's fascinating about horror stories in general is that they've like since fairy tales, they've been trying to say something, you know. Because because fairy tales were horror stories and yeah, Brothers Grimm, yeah, Brothers Grimm, and even before that, they they were not for children. Like literally, they were not for children. It wasn't until it was published under Kindle and Hausmärchen, which means children and house tales, that they were like, these are for children now, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is very funny to me. But um, yeah, it's there's a long-standing tradition of horror stories being used to explore anxieties, like societal anxieties and fear and you can tell based on what the monster is or what the threat is what a particular society was worried about mm-hmm. um is it oh my gosh i forget now it's um halberstam halberstam who writes about uh jack halberstam uh jack or judith depending on which you what you call but um he writes about uh it was called Gothic Skin Shows. And he talked about how if you look at older horror stories, like your Draculas and your... Uh, mainly Dracula was the the, the example given. Um, the monster was somebody foreign. Someone who was away from the homeland of the main character. And so that was the threat. The threat was an external threat. Someone who is coming from far away to terrorize the locals. Um, whereas you look at some, something like Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill is so American. He takes his name from an American Western hero. It's an internalized threat. His, his threat is what he does like sexually and what he does murder wise and wearing people. It's all gross and bad. Um, but it's still an internalized threat. So the threat it's now, it's no longer these evil foreigners are coming to kill us or invade us. It's now there are people already among us who will do us harm. Yeah, well, that I was think kind Buffalo of Bill, 
the year it came out speaks very much to the the sort of panic of that time mm-hmm. the like yeah unfortunately but also reflectively oh that's that's kind of true of modern slasher movies too because characters mm-hmm. like michael myers and freddy krueger were very homegrown villains like they weren't yeah. from somewhere else they were the guy down the street doing terrible things it would like in your neighborhood at your home to your uh, teens to in your, your to suburbs. your kids in the case of freddy krueger he was literally a pedophile like that mm-hmm. that speaks to the kind of fears that uh that people had in the 80s yeah. Like the stranger next door as opposed to the stranger from Transylvania with his weird foreign beliefs <laughs> and his old money. I think it, you can kind of um, track the general feeling of um, societal fears through zombie movies really well. And maybe, Glenna, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like in the 80s, the, um, you know, the like the Dawn of the Deads and I guess I was seventies, right? But like, still, like there were like a, a feeling of consumerism, and like, it, like that's kind of what the the zombies represent. Then you fast forward to um, the the kind of rebirth of uh, zombies post nine eleven, post um, uh, the uh, anthrax scare and stuff like that, where they start to become like a like a, a secret threat, like a, a government was experimenting or whatever, and then they created this thing. People are starting to distrust the government, so like that becomes a thing. And then they sort of evolved into like this um, almost um, climate change parable or like a, a fear of the apocalypse where it's just like, you know, just things shit hits the fan and like we're just left to deal with it. And that's you know, that's kind of where they where they petered out after that. Um, and now <laughs> we're kind of in an era where zombies are, are, are no bueno anymore. I'm sure they'll come back. They always do. Yeah, they're they're fairly malleable. Like, there's a, a movie I, I want to watch but haven't seen yet called A Girl with All the Gifts. And I guess the, the conceit of that is it's zombiness as a form of, like, otherness. Like, especially, like, kids yep. with disabilities in schools um, as explored through zombies. But haven't seen it, so I, that's about all I have to say. It's but. Yeah, very good. It's a very good movie. But the, yeah, the, 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 that's, the, I guess, the other thing, interesting thing with not just, just zombies but kind of most monsters is they can, like, you can kind of put little different Mr. Potato heads on them and have them like represent those things that a society cares about at different times. And they, they're sort of quite malleable. Like zombies can do it, but vampires, you can do it with, um, uh, slashers, right. The, the nature of a slasher, um, and what that looks like that can all change. So yeah, Mm -hmm. the, the, how the monster is interpreted, I think is, is very telling of the time. Yeah. And we've seen this really cool trend that I really like, uh, where we're sort of reclaiming the monster, um, which is uh, a very catchy way of saying it. But uh, so in my research, I came across this idea of oppressive monsters versus subversive monsters. So oppressive monsters are when the monster represents a societal threat that is actually um, an othered group. So when you look at um, when you look at Buffalo Bill as a queer coded villain, or when you look at uh, witches in fairy tales being evil women, things like Mm -hmm. that. These are monsters that uh, maintain a status quo that already exists, and that's what makes them oppressive. But what we're seeing is this subversion of that. We've got subversive monsters that are, uh, the monster figure is still used, they're still monstrous, they're still othered, but they are then utilized in an empowering way uh, to allow them to signify some kind of way to fight back against oppression. And I already said this in the pre-show, but I'll say it for people actually listening. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking of the latest Candyman, 
the yeah the the way that the monster is a threat throughout the movie, but it is transformed into something that the black community needs in order to fight oppression and to uh, be heard. Yeah, I haven't haven't had a chance to to watch that one yet. Can you go a little more into sort of how they like? Yeah, even spoil it a little. Yeah, so um, there is this um, this young artist discovers the story of Candyman and is trying to spread it around because he thinks it's really because the idea of um, a black man who is wrongfully murdered is a very uh, familiar story. Mm-hmm. It's so familiar that uh, this Candyman figure pops up again and again throughout history. I think in the film, he they have five different iterations of him. And the idea is that every generation needs a Candyman. Everyone, every generation needs that tragic figure to uh, light the fires of rebellion and... Um, or not rebellion, uh, resistance. And our main character sort of ends up being transformed into the Candyman and is is becomes a monster but is also used because when his um his ex-girlfriend is picked up by the cops and is basically threatened with if you don't give us what we want we'll we'll arrest you as an accomplice she summons Candyman, and the last thing we see Candyman do is murder a bunch of white cops so it's it (laughs) it really is symbolically and taking down these oppressive structures right on uh, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just fascinated by this. Are there are, are there other modern examples? I know that's obviously the best one, but I'm just so I'm so en- enthralled by this notion. I'd love to know other um, uh, think like other ways to think about this. Well, if you look at uh, something like this is not quite new, but if you look at like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the way witches are portrayed, how witches used to be this like evil thing that women were sinners, that they were having pacts with the devil, all of those things. And you look at what, now we all know Joss Whedon's a creep, but <laughs> you look at how uh, witchcraft in Buffy is used as a metaphor for like self-exploration into coming into realize your own lesbianism. It's an empowering uh, thing that gets muddled later when it becomes a weird drug addiction metaphor, but there are like looking at uh, charmed or um, even looking at Sabrina, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, the way witchcraft is used as a tool of empowered women to, to give them power as opposed to something that should be feared. Yeah. That's great. Um, and Scott, I think you had mentioned another one, that, a recent one that um, both you and I got hip to today, but haven't had a chance to watch that we were pretty sure traffic's in the same idea as well. Yeah, Jacob's Wife. Um, it's, haven't seen it, but in a nutshell, it's the story of like a, a pastor's wife gets vampired and turns into a Dracula. And because of that, she begins to break out of the patriarchal society that she's in. Um, because she's, she's self-empowered. She's a vampire now. Like, what are the men going to do? And she, on, it, it poses a question of like, yes, on one level, she recognizes that being a vampire is wrong and bad and evil and she should get cured. But on the other hand, she is reveling in the freedom that it's giving her for the first time in her life. And so therein lies the dichotomy in the story. And so I would say it does traffic in that because it's vampire as, 
uh, as like feminism, vampire as the ability to break out of the oppressive power structures that you just find yourself in, right? Sick, yeah, and that's obviously following along in that trend. Um, well, I think <laughs> I'll uh, you. <laughs> No, I was chuckling like I had a clever segue, but I don't. Um, but yeah, that was, that was very insightful, uh, Glenna, and, and all. Thank you. Um, but I guess I, I'll, I'll share one of the things that I I, I look for, and it's it's um, much more of an exterior interpretation, but I do think it really matters in a good horror movie, and that's it's got to be R rated. It's it should be R rated. Um, and I even did it when I thought of this. I was like, well, okay, are there good? Um, PG-13 horror movies. Um, and Or are there... I mean, obviously there might be some G ones, like, you know, your Frankenweenies and what have you, but, like, that that difference between PG-13 and R. Um, I, so I, I got a list and looked up... All, of all the lists I looked at, A Quiet Place and The Ring were about the only two ones that people were... Con- like, there was any consensus on is a good PG-13 horror movie. I mean, Poltergeist um, is PG-13, and it's considered one of the one of the classics. Fair. What about uh, the others? I like the others quite a bit. Is that the one with think... Nicole Kidman? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That was that was also on the list. I, <laughs> I mean, thanks for joking. Shoot holes in it, but I just my <laughs> I guess my just my thought is like, look, all movies are products for sale. They're trying to make studios money, right? Um, but they also all exist somewhere on the scale of like product to art, like between you know, a film school grad's final project and the Paw Patrol movie. Um, like, they're all some combination of product and art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like, generally, it seems like PG-13 horror movies are much more product mm-hmm. than art. That's fair. And, like, compromises had to be made to sell more tickets to 14-year-olds. Um, and if yes. you're making compromises in the name of ticket sales you're making artistic compromises and it's not that all r-rated movies are masterpieces or brilliant or not you know tasteless cash grabs it's just like if i know a movie is r-rated i know they didn't necessarily have to pull any punches or make any compromises yeah like sometimes like restrictions can you know really imbue creativity so like if a you know a writer's got to work around the studio saying like this has to be pg-13 or something like sometimes it can work out like i'm reading i'm reading a long history or like the oral history of star trek and like that show like had lots and lots of limitations in terms of budget and budget and all that kind of stuff. And like, it still turned out to be amazing. So like it, it's just and like, and that's not to say like, you know, when the, when the rules are, are changed or, or you get a lot more freedom, like that obviously can also imbue a lot of creativity. Um, but you know, it, it just depends on, you know, how skilled of a, of a writer you are sometimes. Um, yeah. That, and that's fair, and but and also like if you write and write or make a movie, and when all is said and done, you're like, damn, I got I got a great horror movie on my hands, and it happens to be PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Great, I don't yeah. question your artistic integrity. Um, I actually watched a really interesting YouTube video by a, a guy. Uh, the 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 channel is called Accented Cinema, and it's uh, I believe a, a Chinese guy. Um, uh, talks about uh, his experience with like he did a great Shang Chi episode, just about like um, his experience with with cinema. And he talked about why, like, Chinese horror movies suck. It's because, like, of all the genres, they're the ones the most under the thumb of the Chinese government where they, like, can't show show certain things. And the rules change, like, almost daily that they full-on just, like, slap it all together. Um, 
And uh, yeah, there's like no good horror movies in China because there's too many restrictions. So. Interesting. Cool. Well, it looks like we have uh, uh, lots more to discuss. Uh, I think we're definitely going to talk about some of the things we don't look for in the second half, but uh, I have a feeling there's a few more things we do want to talk about that make good horror movies. Uh, So we'll cover it all when we come back uh, after a quick word from the Alberta Podcast Network and friends. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all things wild. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcast or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. Welcome back, everybody, to I Have Some Notes. We're talking what we look for in in our horror movies. And uh, one of the things I think interesting in that whole first half that never really came up, sort of in the atmosphere chat, um, does it have to be scary? Do you like a scary horror movie? I certainly prefer a scary horror movie, uh, but I would argue no. A horror movie doesn't necessarily need to be scary um, because uh, one of the things that I quite like is psychological horror. And very rarely do they like really come across as scary, but they are definitely horror movies. And a good example of one that I just saw in recent years that was quite good that I really liked is called Braid. Um, and it's a movie about these two women on the run from the law who go to hide out at their friend's place. Their friend lives by herself in this mansion. And in order to stay with her, they have to play a game that three of them used to play as little kids. They're basically playing house, but they have to play house while they're there and they have to abide by her rules. And the game becomes more and more high stakes. And as it does, reality starts to break down. Like it becomes unclear what's real, what's in the game, what what is really going on, what the power dynamic is between the girls. It is just drug-fueled insanity, and I cannot recommend it enough. Far but enough. it's not scary. I would argue that it did not scare me, but it sat with me for days. Yeah, That's how I felt about um, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm. of just like mm-hmm. a paranoid dread where you're not sure what, you know, that's, that's scary, but also like, you know, uh, 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 crazy, crazy, like, um, uh, a color out of space is also scary because there's a weird, you know, spoilers for color out of space, a mother and son get like conjoined in weird eldritch body horror. Yeah. That, that uh, that's stuck a, with that, me for days too. Yeah. But in, in such different ways. Um, but yeah, scary, not scary. How do we feel? I agree that it doesn't have to be scary. Um, that's, that's just me. Um, again, this is cause I am a Frady cat. Uh, which is funny that I chose to study horror at school. <laughs> um, uh, but so here's the thing about horror. And I alluded to this at the beginning. Um, horror and comedy are the only genres where they're described based on the affect they have on the audience. They, like yeah. a, a, a fantasy, a sci-fi, a, a Western. Those are all those genres are determined by what is on the screen, the mise-en-scene, the types of story that you're seeing, the types of characters that you're seeing, the setting, but those things don't apply to horror, which is really interesting. And I think 
that that's uh, that does horror a disservice because I think there are absolutely genre tropes that are not necessarily scary that still define a a horror movie. You you had mentioned in the last half the lighthouse as mm-hmm. uh, a recent horror movie that you loved, and I, that's another example of a horror movie that I also quite enjoyed that I didn't find scary, but it was a hundred percent a horror movie. Uh, because it's it's like that old saying about pornography. Uh, I can't necessarily define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also like the comparison to comedy um, because I think the one thing that you can't say about horror, like I think they're similar in the way you said, Glenna, mm-hmm. but the thing you can't say about comedy that you can say about horror is like you can't. there's no such thing as a comedy that's too funny. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like there's like you, you, it's like a, it's like the the yodeling game in in Price is Right where it's like it's not scary it's getting scarier it's getting scarier it's getting scarier and like everyone has their limit but like eventually it you go okay nope too much this is too too no, not fun anymore scary it's just upsetting scary yeah. um, and I think that's why maybe it's such a divisive uh, genre as well because mm-hmm. um, it's like different people's thresholds for like tolerance to it whereas again no one's like. Oh, that that Borat was too funny. <laughs> they could have taken some jokes out, taken some jokes out of there. Token, good lord, um, taking some jokes out of there. It's weird because comedy is almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's almost like the reverse curve for horror goes for comedy in a way. Because comedy starts out not funny and then gets progressively funnier. Whereas, yeah. And, and I, I would say that uh, a not scary horror movie is more approachable than a not funny comedy movie, mm-hmm. whereas a very funny comedy movie is much more approachable than a very scary horror movie. So they're almost like on opposite ends of one another, which is interesting because they they intersect in one of your favorite genres, Liam. Yes, I was one of the things I wanted to talk, cover just briefly here, but truly like my favorite kind of horror movie and also my favorite kind of science fiction film and my favorite kind of fantasy and my favorite kind of action movie are <laughs> horror comedies. Um, and I, I think they, they, they are so similar in that way um, where like the absurdity of each of horror and the, abs- the latent absurdity of horror and the latent absurdity of comedy just like clicks so well together that like it's it's also why like you know um return of the living dead is a sweet movie because it's like or or evil dead 2 like you know you got your zombie lands and your what we do in the shadows where it's like a comedy movie with horror elements right your ghostbusters but then there's just like horror movies that are so having so much fun with the absurdity that they make you laugh um but are still very much rooted in like every you know the premise of of horror right um so i, I like a I, horror comedy evil dead 2 is kind of an it, like it's really interesting one to bring up because um like the comedy in it i guess is is it fair to say it's kind of understated in the sense that like the the horror aspect of it is still being taken very very seriously and like that the scene in where he goes you know into the um the basement and stuff like that. It's just like, that's, it's fairly tense. Uh, but it, like, it's, it, it, it also is like just genuinely funny while simultaneously being scary. And it's just kind of like masterfully. So I think that yeah. that's what I appreciate so much out of it. Also, it's kind of like, it's weird structure. I really like, like it's, you know, that you get, you get him and his girlfriend going to the, 
the cabin in the woods. And then like, like she dies very quickly. And then you get like this really long bit where it's just Ash versus monsters. And that's Mm -hmm. like a really good, like just all the way till about the halfway from the movie. And then it stops. And then we get the introduction of even more characters. Like, it's just like, it's just (laughs) this weird thing where it's just like, it has like this, this really, it's almost like two horror movies in one where you get like this run up to like this, this showdown and then like stop more characters run up to showdown. (laughs) That's legit because the first part of evil dead two is just basically a cliff's notes of evil dead one. So you don't have to watch the first one to be caught up. Um, Also, if you ever have the opportunity, I cannot recommend highly enough evil dead, the musical, see it on stage. If you ever have the opportunity, it is a riot. Uh, Cannot recommend it highly enough. So good. Does Army of Darkness count as a as a horror comedy? Oh, no, for it's sure. Like a fantasy. It's like it's, sure. there's it's horror still a horror action. movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it the other thing that uh, makes horror comedy work, in my opinion, is because comedy is the is the juxt- is basically it's the counterpoint to horror. And I was kind of discussing that with your with your chart, yeah. but uh, that makes it so that when you're when you're dealing with really tense subject matter and a really tense atmosphere the comedy hits harder because if you're doing it effectively, the, the laughs are offsetting the genuine dread and the two play off each other and juxtapose each other really effectively. And that is so a good horror comedy is a good movie. Generally like cabin in the woods, Mm -hmm. for example, great horror comedy. And it's because the, the comedy plays off of the horror very effectively. Yeah. Well, they're both just like a release of tension. Like when I, I think about like the way Hannah Gatsby describes it in, her uh stand-up special Lynette where she's like she knows full well how to like wind up tension release it wind up tension release it and with a horror comedy it's like they wind you up and then it's could go either way um yeah Mm -hmm. sometimes it goes both ways well and both horror and comedy rely on the subversion of expectations just in different directions Mm -hmm. absolutely so yeah i like i like a horror comedy which is my way of saying uh, uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion is fine. It's fine. <laughs> you get, if you want something to watch for an hour, it's okay. Um, but yeah, how about uh, how about what we uh, what we don't like? What is what is something that'll turn you off a horror movie right quick? Um, why don't we start with Glenna again? So I have a really complicated relationship with gore. Um, I hate gore. Until I don't. Um, it's like gore can be used very effectively. I usually like it in a comedy setting more so than in a horror setting. And I think the thing is, is that the more realistic the gore is, the more upsetting it is to me. To talk about the thing again, you've got the dog exploding into the the thing. You've got the weird head crab thing. Um, you know, all of these beautiful special effects that are really gory, those don't bother me nearly as much as the scene where everyone is cutting his thumb with a knife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's so identifiable that you're like, oh, I could take a knife and, oh, God, like, it's just the tension is so visceral. And that's where yeah, it can be used to great effect. But it's also why I'm like never going to watch the Saw movies, because that's just yeah. too much for me. Yeah, I always, I always had a hard time with the, any of the um, Eli Roth joints uh, or in the saws and your hostels and your just like, yeah, I'm like, who? And I know there's people and I'm sure they're going to tell us in the comments, but I'm just like, <laughs> that I, 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 I don't understand wanting to watch someone 
in duress have to choose like which leg they're gonna cut off and then watch them cut the leg off just like or i guess even like the duress is interesting Mm -hmm. you know that's that's good movie drama but then to be like okay well we we we've resolved this tension he's picked the left leg or he's gonna do it (laughs) and now we gotta sit there and watch him hack it away like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I mean, they made like 90 of those movies for a good spell. So obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's sure. I mean, it, I mean, clearly it's got value. I mean, it appeals to some people. It like torture porn is, is not, not my thing. It's not, uh, um, I I don't necessarily have uh, a problem with gore for the most part. Although there is, there is a limit. There was a, a French film that I watched called martyrs. That was, um, the most, um, egregious film in terms of gore that I think I've ever seen uh, and it literally left me shaking and sweating at the end of it and I will never watch it again um, <laughs> you know it, uh, a friend of mine who watched it with me said he, he literally just got like you know nightmares afterwards and I, I really don't blame him but like so th- there's this it definitely hits a limit for me but it's just like it's just not I don't know it's just not really all that interesting to me like I don't know like it's um and I mentioned off the top, like, um, slasher films don't necessarily super appeal to me, just, um, especially the ones that are, um, um, just kind of lining up characters for the kill. Like, I don't know, is it like a little boring? I guess there's some excitement in the inventive inventiveness of the kills, like if they've got some, something going in that way. Um, but then it's just a comedy again. Like the best <laughs> ones are the ones that are funny. Yeah, and, you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's it, yeah, you know, it's just how it is, I guess. Uh, it's interesting because uh, Glenna mentioned the thing, uh, probably the single best monster movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, a wonderful film. One of my legit one of my top movies ever. Um, and they made a remake of it. Uh, sort of a, a, a reboot, remake, prequel esque sort of dealio. Oh, yeah, and uh, it was it was real bad. And one of the reasons it was real bad is because the thing has wonderful practical effects that hold up to this day, and the thing has terrible CGI that looked bad even when it came out. And that is something that I hate in a horror movie: is egregious CGI because it takes me out of the film. CGI doesn't really have substance to me. Um, I can tell that an actor is not in the room with a thing that was digitally composited and put over like a guy in a suit or on a golf ball that was suspended on a string. And so it, it actually, it draws me out. I like something that doesn't have substance that doesn't feel like it's really there. Doesn't, doesn't do it for me. Whereas if they're like facing off against a squishy wet puppet, that's screaming in their face that, that, I like, I like that. That'll hold up for me. And that'll, that'll keep me in the movie much more than, than something that's just kind of airy and ephemeral. Yeah. I'm surprised so many horror movies do go the digital route, uh, rather than trying to use as much practical as possible and and accenting, um, your movie with digital effects just, Oh yeah. Because I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. Like I, I actually like that thing prequel. Um, I think it's a fine movie. It's just, um, the, the special effects, um, let it down a little bit, but like, it's, it's a very common thing and just, and it really, I think for me, like it, it, um, there's almost, there's almost no digital monster that I can really think of, 
um, that I can point to that as being scary mm-hmm. um, at all. Like, you, you know, uh, exciting, sure. Um, but like, I don't know, like the, you know, the, um, the, the monsters in like a quiet place and stuff like that still like whenever you get to see the whole thing, generally speaking, not scary at all. Um, yeah, so it's just a kind of a, just, I don't know, there's something about like digital hasn't, um, there's something about like the way digital portrays something being wet and slimy (laughs) that like kind of is sort of like important to like, uh, a lot of monsters and things like that, uh, uh, you know, especially in around like the gaping teeth and stuff like that. And, and it just like. Uh, there's something about like the the sheen and the physics of all that when it's when it's digitally created that just um, just doesn't work and um, you know I'm sure they'll get there eventually but you know right now for for all the 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 wonderful wonderful effects artists out there and there are many and it's just they do a great great job it's just there's there's something about marrying that with real people that just doesn't work in a horror movie you need uh you need your uh, gallons and gallons of KY jelly on the set of Alien yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it looks gross. Yeah, <laughs> and it and you know and it and it interacts with the light the way that you would expect, and it's almost yeah. it's almost like um, that lighting st- again. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like it has the same sort of uncanny valley that that a human face does. Like mm. we can we can we can spot it being fake really really easily. Yeah, which is funny because like I remember like you hear people back in the day, it's like oh that's totally fake. That's just like a guy with his hand in a puppet. And it's like, we're, we're wishing for that now. Yeah. We're wishing for more guys with hands because it's in the room with them. It's not, you know. Yeah. 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 So. Give me, give me gremlins. I'll take gremlins. And <laughs> we're scared of that than I am any new digital monster. Um, what about like horror, horror is a genre riddled with tropes, mm-hmm. like riddled with tropes. I guess most movies are. I shouldn't say like it's more egregious than others, but it's definitely got some that that are uh, you know infamous, uh, and definitely some that you know uh, uh, maybe maybe we're done maybe we're done with. But how do how do we feel about uh, certain horror movie tropes? So I know you're setting this up for me. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you could you could have just not said that. You, just <laughs> let it you can cut that out. It's okay. <laughs> nope, uh, that is staying in. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, no, uh, the tropes in horror movies are really interesting. So there is this book that I used a lot in my thesis, which is called Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol Clover. It was written in the '90s about horror movies from the '70s to the '90s, and it talked about specifically slasher movies and occult movies and rape revenge movies. So those were the three genres of horror movie that uh, she talks about, and she looked at the um the roles that men and women would fall into in these films and again and again and again more often than not you've got the women are the victims the men are the monsters and you've got the the women are exploited their their fear and pain and bodies are exploited by the camera by the monster by the situation and then you've got the men who are having their own issue they usually die like there is the final girl she actually came up with the term final girl um oh cool. yeah there is the final girl but her argument is that the final girl is masculinized and is and becomes a more masculine character by the end and is no longer a girl i use big scare quotes for that um there's also uh this trend of gender confusion in a male monster you're looking at like your psychos and your um 
Oh, what is that one with Michael Caine called? Is that called Dress to Kill? Anyway, there's a lot of... There are many, many instances of male killers that cross-dress. And so that has really icky connotations about uh, trans identities, about non-binary identities, and blurring the lines of gender. Um, And those are tropes that I would like to see gone. (laughs) from <laughs> from our our uh, and and from our new horror movies and to their credit you don't see a lot of them anymore um i actually here's a here's a secret if i ever do my phd i want to do the same kind of thing that carol clover did but for movies that have come out more recently and to take a look at the new trends that we're seeing because they are new and they are different horror movies have changed a lot since the 70s and we can see entirely new tropes and new uh, patterns emerging, which I think is really cool. This this might be a broad statement, and and I apologize if that's the case. And and feel free, those of you who are a little more versed in uh, the people who make horror movies than I am, to feel free to correct me at any point. But I feel like part of that is because we're seeing fewer white men making horror movies, or at least proportionately fewer because I feel like it was a very white male genre for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And we're now starting to see more people of color, more women uh, entering into the genre and creating new stories from a different perspective. And that that different perspective has been challenging a lot of those old, very tired, very sexist tropes. And again, if I'm completely off base there, feel free to correct me. That's just my... yeah, my my feeling is that uh, the genre has been very male, white male dominated for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Liam, th- th- there's a there's a video by Renegade Cut, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but it's it's uh, I think it's it's basically about the Reaganization of horror movies. Do you recall this video at all? I, I don't. I've watched most of the Renegade Cuts, but I don't, don't got that one. Sorry. I I, I I hope I'm not wrong about this, but I like one of the. Um, one of the points made in it, as I recall, is like, um, you know, it, this this sort of like fear of sex in general, like the the idea that like, mm-hmm. you know, like the trope that like as soon as you have sex in a horror horror movie, uh, you're gonna get cut in half or something something bad is gonna happen to you. So when I make this. a horror movie, the only people who are gonna survive are the people who have sex. Take that. <laughs> That's right. Take that tropes. <laughs> I know, yeah, I don't. I like the the fear in the of sex in in society writ large, especially like you know I'm I'm a little bit older now, and just like when I was growing up, it was just like sin, 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 all you know. And I kind of you know I grew up around um, some folks who are from evangelical churches and things like that, and yeah, so like it was a big part of my childhood. So I would really love love to see that um, dis- disappear com- completely, just because I, I yeah I definitely don't like that angle of it. In seriousness that that's a trope that's very American because America is a very prudish society. Yeah. Uh, when you look at uh, a lot more foreign horror movies, like European horror movies, Asian horror movies, that's that's a trope that comes up a little less, I feel. Yeah, I might do. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on, on horror, uh, foreign need horror to, movies. Need I'm to, not an expert on American horror, horror need movies. Need to sit either. you down to watch some giallo horror, some of those classic Italian horror films. So good. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, um, shifting gears a little here one of the one of the things i i i have a hard time with in horror movies i it's a bit of a turnoff for me is like 
like religious horror or even um uh witchcraft or like voodoo or like foreign religions as horror um because it like supposes a certain belief in the supernatural that you already have and like i think the most egregious one for me that like really just leaves me feeling ooky is the conjuring movies because they claim to be based on like true events and as someone who's like a hardcore ghost skeptic like i don't believe in ghosts and it's like i don't believe in vampires either but like i don't think anybody does whereas like ghosts like some people might like watch conjuring and be like oh that happened and it just it's it takes me right out of it because it's i feel like other people don't see it as absurd as i do um and it makes me have a hard t- hard time getting behind it when i'm like know that other people in the theater are kind of taking this more seriously the way like the the best example i could give of like <laughs> would be like no i can't i can't no never mind um but yeah just like i don't i don't believe in ghosts so i find ghost movies that try to play it as a as a potential thing that could happen and not the you know speculative fiction like what if vampires what if werewolves but it's like it's more like how about ghosts you know those things that are right behind you it just doesn't doesn't do it for me and and especially ones that traffic in like religious imagery it, it sort of supposes you already believe in a fairly western christianity um or in ones that a deal in the occult sort of assumes that you're afraid of foreign you know uh, religion or like wicca and witchcraft like as the sort of enemy so I kind of have a hard time with those ones, even though it feels like some splitting hairs. Um, I'll, I think, ad- yes. I'll admit that I do like some cultic horror, but I, I prefer stuff that's like made up whole cloth or is, or is very clearly like, yeah, it, we're, we're, we're worshiping bad things. Um, I don't like religious horror in general. I think it's a little overplayed, but one trope that <laughs> speaking to tropes that I don't like okay. is when uh, like a legitimate foreign religion is used as like the bad religion like when voodoo is used as the bad religion the scary bad religion we're making voodoo zombies everybody be afraid that that's real gross to me because that's very much like foreign othering Mm -hmm. and it's taking like legitimate beliefs that people have and dressing it up as like a halloween costume kind of and it it feels really gross to me so i don't i don't care for that yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a, it's they're banking on ignorance to for it to be able to play very well. Yeah, so there's yeah. there's something in, inherent that's kind of grody about that. Yeah, voodoo's yeah, voodoo's it, probably the more egregious one, and I think mm-hmm. it's partly because it's it's kind of like a black religion, which is even kind of grosser that they make it out to be the bad guy religion in a lot of, especially like older movies. There was actually an episode of Supernatural where they thought it was a voodoo curse, but it was actually a voodoo protecting spell. Boom, subverted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good work, Supernatural. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess in both those cases, yeah, they, they, they're they trafficking in things that s- someone believes, whether it's the it's the, the devil you believe in in Western Christianity or the like weird foreign religion you don't understand. Um, in, in both cases, it... it it, it's dealing with something someone believes, whereas, like, yeah, a, 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 uh, something made up whole cloth, like the Babadook, or something that's more mythological and therefore malleable and reinterpretable, like vampires, I think you just ha- gets, you get get a little more steam out of it and a little less 
insulting my intelligence. Like, <laughs> I, I guess when I see like a movie like The Conjuring where it's like it's based on real events, I'm, in my brain I'm just like, no, it isn't. And then I just like keep watching as as if I didn't see that. <laughs> and like, like I I I know like I that movie is a very good movie. Um, uh, but on the on the on the other hand, it's like it's it is kind of. I d- what I don't like about it is just like basically based on a couple grifters, right? Like a couple uh. ghost grifters, right? And like I think their their grift has been uh, has been um, quite well explored, as I understand it. So yeah, it's you know it, it, that part of it kind of bugs me a little bit. It, that's it's <laughs> it's almost more of like um, watching a movie with a with an actor who's been discovered to be. Uh, a piece of shit or something like that you kind of have to like it's almost like a death of the artist type of thing yeah that's valid yeah i think there's uh there's a, a fair amount of um uh just tropes and things that that i'm, I'm excited to to move to, to see move past from hopefully and, and the horror movies because we are in a bit of a horror movie renaissance i think um got that got that good good a24 content you know yeah, they, that's the, the new studio, right? With all the uh, with all the um, like the streaming services and stuff like that out there, like the the smaller budget movies are really, you know, they're trying to pump out a lot of stuff. So you get a lot of those small budget gems. So that's that's definitely right in the horror wheelhouse, right? Uh, even uh, oh. even more than that, though. Sorry, Glenna, you go first. <laughs> I just had an idea of something that I really don't like in horror movies. Yes. Sorry. Please. I don't like it. When the horror comes from mental illness, mm. that is so dehumanizing for someone who struggles with mental illness. I actually, uh, here's a fun fact. I dated a guy who starred in a movie about a, uh, a killer who had bipolar disorder and it was very much. <laughs> was it James McAvoy? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was it was a homegrown Alberta movie that it sometimes plays on Super Channel. It's called Hemorrhage. It's fine, um, but it it definitely plays on that idea of like the the terror comes from the mental illness, and I just I just want to see that go away. I want I want I want mental illness to be treated as respectfully. I guess. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a la- it's a real lazy and shallow form of othering, and I'm like, not to give you know uh, like um, racists and sexists a pass, but like it's just so obviously like a person in need mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not a, a threat, like yeah. Um, and to just be like they're crazy, like it's like it's it's real like reefer madness energy of like who knows what terrible things they'll get up to because they're crazy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially since, like, uh, like as someone who suffers from anxiety quite a bit, like it, like it's like horror is a great way to explore those themes rather than um, rather than use it to make people afraid of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's especially um, uh, disappointing in a modern context for sure, given what we know now about uh, about mental illness and how much especially the COVID era has accelerated that for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Going through a shared trauma has really just like put mental illness on, on, in, in the forefront um, that I don't think um, was quite there before. So, Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, Greg might need to do a little shuffle around to 
plug that in before his comment about indie horror. Uh, but cause my comment feeds off of that. Um, <clears throat> uh, something in addition to that though, is, uh, you have a lot of more mainstream or more big name directors who are willing to dip their, uh, toes into horror now. Uh, especially when you see like the success that get out had, uh, horror is no longer seen as the gutter anymore. And that's kind of true mm-hmm. of genre fiction in general, actually. Uh, there's a little bit more respectability to a lot of that kind of genre fiction. And that includes horror. And a lot of directors and writers are, are kind of waking up to the fact that horror is a genre where you can really explore big ideas in an interesting way and present them in an interesting way. And I, th- I think we're going to see more of that moving forward too. Cool. Well, that's, uh, I, I think, uh, um, uh, a lot of insight on horror movies, and frankly, a just a lot of recommendations. There's been a bunch of movies named tonight and dropped tonight that I have <laughs> not seen, uh, and that I, uh, um, that I'm, I'm gonna have to go check out. So I, I hope y'all feel the same. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a really, really fascinating conversation. It was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. indeed. Thank you very much for joining us, Glenna. Uh, I, I had no doubts, but extremely uh, valuable insights, and I uh, appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very flattered that you asked. Uh, anything you want to plug before we, we head out? Uh, always. Uh, where can we find you? Uh, yeah. You can you can find me alongside Liam doing our actual play podcast, Quantum Kickflip. We play Slug Blaster. It's not horror, but it's sci-fi, and that's fun. Uh, we're also on the Alberta Podcast Network, so come check us out here. In fact, we're, we did we, we timed it so our two October releases are uh, somewhat uh, uh, Halloween-y, horror-themed, and... Uh, I believe uh, the new part two comes out two days after this episode drops. When we do uh, the show, we are in our season where we are taking your suggestions. Uh, So please, uh, if you got movies you want us to to give notes to, uh, hit us up on all the social media platforms uh, at I Have Some Notes. Uh, put uh, I Have Some Notes into Facebook. We'll come right up. And uh, at I Have Some Notes Pod on Instagram. Uh, not only can you make suggestions, but also uh, we will put up uh, sort of polls. Uh, people like, which one of these three movies that have been suggested are we going to do this week? Um, and so you can vote on that, and uh, you know, really uh, put us through the ringer. Watch us make some 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 questionable film choices. So uh, <laughs> wherever you do your social media, find I have some notes, and wherever you get your podcast, please give us the old like, subscribe, review trifecta. It really does help us out. Hey, we're three pals who get together to talk about movies, but if you'd like to listen to three pals get together to share recipes, tips, and kitchen adventures, I've got good news. You can check out the Three Kitchens podcast. You can find them right now and all our other sibling podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And as as Liam mentioned, uh, we'll have a poll up a little later this week so that you can decide which film will be our next one. So uh, stay tuned to our social media for that. Uh, until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Spooky outro. <laughs> <laughs> Jump scare. <laughs> There's some fetish site for that somewhere, I'm sure. This is not a conversation a that I thought I would no, be having with my mother on the breakfast Let's not dish. talk about fetish it's too late. between it's in. mother I'm and not, son. I'm not editing it. I've been operating under the misguided notion that Scooby-Doo was a piece of shit. When I first met Daddy, oh, he was trying to man, convince one second. me. One I'm going to put a nix on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will stand for Mommy. I will not stand for Dad. <laughs>
you guys ignore your other guests for this long a period? We have now clearly divided the lines of this podcast. <laughs> Two perverts and me and Karen. Uh, speaking of cocaine, well, we'd like to thank our supporters. Hi, I'm Griffin. Hi, I'm Griffin's mommy, Karen. Okay, well, I'm the Bubby, and we host The Breakfast Dish on the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Karen, what do we what do we friggin' do? What do we friggin' do? We friggin' celebrate and highlight and amplify all the online art that is happening. If it's socially distanced, if it's art you can see online, I want to walk through your gallery virtually. I want to hear your music. I want to watch your play. You can hear about it on The Breakfast Dish. All right, frankly, that was too much cursing. And also, you can find The Breakfast dish anywhere you get your podcasts or you can head to albertapodcastnetwork.com watch your language this has been the breakfast dish